Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, let's do it then. Welcome along to Writer's Routine. Today, we're talking to the debut thriller author, James Buckler, all about how his ideas move from his head to the page and how he works the day around his creativity. Now, we talk about the very loose kind of roadmap that he needs before he starts on the journey of his story. Also, we hear about how his inspiration came from living abroad and also from flipping one of his favourite films on its head. And we, we chat about the writing barriers that he locked himself inside for his very first novel. I'd set myself the task that there could be no car chases, no guns, there were no secret agents in the story, but I still wanted to write a page turner. So all of the plot points, all of the jeopardy and the tension had to come from events that could happen to you or I. So stay there, that is all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for coming back for another Writer's Routine episode, number 30, by the way. And those months since that very first episode we did back with Karen Slaughter, I think. Best-selling Karen Slaughter, by the way. Yeah, these 30 episodes have just gone shockingly quickly. Thank you so much if you've been here for most of the ride. I really appreciate your ears. And also, what a week it has been since the last time we were here. I hope you managed to get some time and some peace and some quiet space to get and read outside in the sun over the bank holiday. It's a tough thing to do, though, right? You know, writing outside. If you are a writer, I'm going to guess that you don't use old-fashioned paper and pens. Chatting to authors uh, every week as we do, I don't think any of them do anymore. Uh, I guess most likely it's on the laptop, right? It's just impossible to use one of those outside, isn't it? You know, the screen glare is an absolute nightmare. I know that when I've taken my Mac outside to do some work on and to muck around on garage band with, uh, the sun, the glare is just so awful that it reveals just how dirty my screen is. And I spend most of the time doing no work and just embarrassingly cleaning it. Uh, and before I know it, the sun's gone in and I could have stayed inside doing the writing in my dining room the whole time. Of course, the classic writing staples of paper and pen the traditional ways uh, don't really lend itself to working outside either do they you know what with the wind i think if anything colin firth taught us that in love actually i don't know i'm rambling today uh, <laughs> all i wanted to say was i hope you managed to get outside and have some fun with your books in the sun now, before I started wittering on about Richard Curtis films, I wanted to give you a quick reminder, actually. If you are enjoying this show, 
And if any of the advice that one of the authors we have chatted to has helped you work on your story, I'd love to hear the story of that. Now, the easiest way to talk about how we have helped you, I guess, is over on the iTunes podcast store, because over there it's win-win. Simply get there, find Writer's Routine, drop us your name, leave us five stars if you fancy, and then in the little box you get on there, tell me how some inspirational words that you have heard from a guest, from a writer on this show has helped motivate you to get working yourself. I may even read it out and it'll make me feel all nice and warm inside like what we're doing is actually worthwhile. So please go and do that. If you've got a spare second, find Writer's Routine over on the iTunes podcast store. Today's Writer's Routine is from the debut thriller author, James Buckler. Now he splits his days in between writing and working freelance in film and telly. And he really likes that because it gives him like full whole days where his diary is completely empty. He's not got the regular nine to five. So when he's not on sets or when he's not behind the editing screen, he can sit in his office overlooking the churchyard in South London and just get to writing. James is incredibly well travelled as well, having lived uh, for over a year in Japan. And that served as the inspiration and the idea for his first novel. It's out now in hardback and very soon in paperback. It's called Last Stop Tokyo. Uh, It's the story of Alex, who's an English teacher in Japan, kind of on the run because of something mysterious that's happened in his past that we learn along the way. And he meets the alluring and elusive Naoko, and she helps his journey along the way. And the book does switch rather brilliantly between two time periods and keeps us in track with everything Alex is finding out in both of those periods of his life. Now, it's really a no-fuss novel. You know, it's nuts and it's bolts, but it's in a rather pleasing page-turning way. And that's exactly what he wanted, by the way. It's not an insult, me saying that. You'll find out more about how he wrote it to be an airport thriller in just a sec. Also, you can hear why the character of Naoko uh, is really the star of the book, what he originally wanted her to be, and we talk about how much he really knows about her. Also, we chat about the two things that happened in his life which converged and met in the middle to give him the idea of this story. As well, we'll get one writing tip that may change the way you work forever. This week is from a mystery writer who is trying to dissuade you from spending the whole day in your dressing gown crying over your laptop. That's in a sec. First, let's get into the main chunk then. Our interview writer's routine at number 30 with the debut thriller author James Buckler talking about his daily ritual. The day will start with um, me being really, really thankful that I, it is a day that I can write and not a day that I have to go to work. And I, obviously, I, the good thing about still working is I try to keep the same mentality. So a writing day is a working day. If I, if I normally start work at seven in the morning when I'm being paid, then I start at seven in the morning when I'm doing it for myself. So I start early um, and just try to... I'll make a cup of coffee, I'll sit down, I read back the last two or three pages from the day before. Obviously, I then I have a moment of just utter self-doubt if I'm completely wasting my time because it's always terrible, Off, always in, especially in the um, early drafts. It's never as good as you'd like it to be. But then I pick up my skirts and try to build up some self-confidence and then sit down and just plough on. And I I don't edit, self-edit too much as I 
right in the early stages. I just let it all come out, um, try to get down as many words as I can. I can probably do about a 90-minute burst of writing, and then I need to go off and do something else for 10 or 15 minutes, whether it's just go for a walk around the block or make a cup of coffee or go and stare out at the window somewhere for a while. And then I go sit back down and try to to carry on. My other thing that I don't know whether this is a good habit or a bad habit, um, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've kind of made all this stuff up as I've gone along, so I might be doing it all completely wrong, I don't know. But after two hour-long bursts of writing, I sit down and read somebody else's work. You know, I, I have a, I always have three or four books on the go that I'm reading at any one time. I've, I find that I can't... If I find if I get one book that really hooks me, then I'll just read that exclusively. But normally I have three or four books on the go at any one time. And after two hours of writing, I'll sit down and read ten pages of their published novel and try to work out what it is that they're doing that seems so good to me. Why does their voice work so well? And why does their prose seem so um, enticing? And why does mine seem so pedestrian and boring? And then I try to elevate my work up to their standard. Are you sticking in the same sort of genre when you're reading these 10 pages of a book just to get your own cogs whirring? Or is it any story that, and you can learn from everything? Uh, anything, anything at all. I mean, often, you know, I could have something like um, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier on the go alongside Gorky Park by Martin Cruz Smith alongside I mean I'm going through this big spate at the moment of reading these um, hype books that seem to be um, kind of pushed forward for the award seasons like uh, this new Sally Rooney novel or um, The Girls by Emma Klein I'm kind of reading that at the moment I suppose that's not a million miles away from the kind of genre that I write in but yeah anything at all anything that's been recommended that's been critically acclaimed or obviously classics um, and just anything that's got Anything that's really caught my eye, really. Um, I just sit down and just try to read 20 pages and then go back to my work. And I, obviously I don't try to let it influence me too much, but I just try to get the eye, try to get it into my head that um, it kind of pushes your standard up a little bit. You know, or actually sometimes it pushes your standard up quite a lot. It makes you realise this kind of target that you're aiming for. The standard is really high, and so you have to push yourself. Yeah. Do you find then when you've finished this little burst of 20 pages, when you then go back to your next hour and a half stint of writing, yep. that it's possibly the most productive you, you've worked all day because you're so inspired? I'll be honest with you, it, it, it depends. <laughs> there, are time, there are days where you, if, you know, if I want to try aim for to do, to do 2,000 words in a day, that the, those 2,000 words will be evenly spread from the morning to the evening and there are other days where you know you can spend 10 hours achieving almost absolutely nothing and then you just have a massive burst at the at the end of the day where it kind of all it comes to you i mean the funny thing about writing is um it it's almost it almost shouldn't be called writing it should be called thinking because you if you're not thinking you can write as many words as you want and none of them will be interesting you it's you have to it's about getting your brain into the swing of generating the the prose, generating the story that it is that you're trying to tell. And when your mind starts to work, 
then the words come to you. I tend to write until my wife comes home and then I stop because, you know, she'll get it home anytime between six or eight o'clock, depending on how busy her day is. And um, and I, I stop at the same time as she does because then it feels like we kind of both have a normal working life. You know, she has an office job um, and... You, as a writer working for yourself, you could you could write in twenty four you know for twenty four hours if you wanted to, and then sleep all of the next day. But I don't think you're going to live a very productive life if you do that. So it is good to treat it as just another job. So say you've started work at eight o'clock. Um, your wife's come home. It's now about seven in in the evening, but you've yep. still not got your two and a half your two thousand words done. Are you are you putting your shutting your laptop lid and you'll forget about it? Yeah, no, I, I I, I, think some writers try to work for a set amount of hours and some writers tend to try to head, try to aim for a set amount of words and I'd ha- I'm happy to go either or. <laughs> you know, I'll have days where I'll write much more than 2,000 words and then days when I've only got a couple of hundred done by the time it, it, evening comes round. But, you know, I don't beat myself up about it. I'm not going to sit there until three in the morning just to try to get some words done. It's not homework, is it? You know, you and also you I, I feel that we're in the entertainment business. You've got to, to off telling the stories, sometimes like telling a joke in a pub that you've got to, you know, you you need to hit your stride and you need to do it in a certain way that holds people's attention. It isn't just about how many words you do you know the the other interesting thing is that there's no reward for taking part you know your publisher never no reward for effort your publisher never thanks you for the amount the hard work that you've done and the amount of hours you put in people only ever care about how good the story is there'll be big passages where i'll write insert good dialogue here and instead of spending a long time, instead of slowing the process down to try to think of the best uh, dialogue that you could put in or polish it or whatever, I'll just say insert good dialogue here and just carry on just to keep the momentum going and just splurge all of your ideas out on the page and you know wait until you've got to the end. As you said, the vomit draft, then go back, read through it. Never, ever, ever show it to another living soul because they'll think you're completely mad. And, you know, you might have a 40,000-word draft of which you've got 5,000 good words in it. The rest of it goes in the bin. But you just keep that good stuff and try to build the second draft around that little kernel of good material that you've got. And then in the second draft, it seems... I kind of do it a bit more like as if you're doing a painting where I'll kind of paint one corner and then leave that, go off and paint a little bit more and paint some clouds in and put some trees in down here. So I'll, instead of just starting at the beginning and trying to go through page by page in order, I will write something that I know is going to be in the first chapter and then I've got a really good idea for something that's going to happen in the next scene. So I'll just, even though I haven't finished the first chapter, I'll jump forward. I've got some stuff I know will go at the end, so I just write that down. I number everything, and as you build the draft up, layer by layer and piece by piece, the numbering obviously completely changes. The the end chapter might be 
of number three, by the time it actually gets finished, it's 43, and you've filled all the other bits in in the middle. If you try to do it page, in you know, line by line, sentence by sentence, in order, I think it would slow everything down. So we've moved into plotting now. Sorry, I mean... No, 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 that's fine. No, that's fine. I was going to do it anyway. It it saves me a rather clunky gear change. It's fine. Um, So the book Last Stop Tokyo, it's out on paperback this month. Tell me about the very first idea you had for the story. Do you remember that first moment that these characters and the plot crept into your mind? The the very first chapter of Last Stop Tokyo is... um, depicts Alex Malloy, who is a Londoner who's relocated to Tokyo and he is arriving at Narita Airport and I'm sorry if this is a bit of a plot spoiler but it shouldn't be too bad but he is stopped by customs guards in Narita suspected of maybe having something illicit in his luggage and the first time I arrived at Narita Airport that's exactly what happened to me I was um the kind of sniffer dog sniffed my luggage and they the uh very very charming and polite uniformed people took me off into the bowels of the airport and into an inspection room and opened all of my luggage up and spread it all over a table and flicked through the pages of all the books I had and took the soles of my shoes out and whatever obviously as I'm sitting here today I obviously had absolutely nothing to worry about but I was fascinated to watch the process as it happened and once they realized that I wasn't any kind of crazy drug smuggler or anything they apologized and you know again very polite and very nice about the whole thing put the stuff back into my luggage and sent me on my way and I thought wow wouldn't that be an interesting beginning to a story and so I had and I was I'm a real note taker so I always have a notebook I wrote it down I was an English teacher in Tokyo and I predominantly taught people business English and I had a student who was in his 70s actually what he liked to do was bring in a copy of the English language newspaper that they print in Tokyo for expats and he would find an article and he and I would read it and we'd spend an hour discussing it. One day he noticed an article in the newspaper that was about an English businessman who had been accused of a really minor theft of which he was adamant he was innocent but the Japanese police had taken him into custody and they were holding him uh, and there's a Japanese a legal term called daio gangoku which kind of means substitute prison and the japanese law says that the, they can hold someone for 21 it might be 23 days while they in, uh, investigate a, a suspected crime and in that time you have no access to a lawyer no telephone call there's nothing you know you you're literally out there so don't say at their mercy. It's not like they do anything terrible to you, but they hold you while they investigate. He thinks this is perfectly normal. And I'm saying in, in, in for us, it's I think 48 hours is the longest you're allowed to be held without being charged. Um, so 23 days is kind of crazy for us. And the the story of the businessman had said that after 10 days he confessed to the crime and paid a small fine and was ultimately released and left the country. Surely he just paid the fine in order to just be released. To not spend 23 days in prison. Exactly, yeah. I said it didn't prove guilt. False confession, yes. Yeah, whereas my student was saying, no, they proved that the police were absolutely correct in what they were doing. Anyway, as we had this conversation, I thought that's another great plot element for a story that 
is about uh, an English guy, a kind of fish out of water story about a foreigner coming to a place that's as very unique and idiosyncratic as Tokyo. And anyway, I began to put these stories, the little elements I had together, and it started to look like a coherent plot. And then I came up with a character. Um, and yeah, and then from there, I kind of had the framework for Last Stop Tokyo. There was a, a tiny little bit of a kind of autobiographical element. You know, they say, write what you know. And so I wrote about an English man who had become an English teacher in Tokyo. And obviously that's something that I did. The similarity kind of between me and Alex sort of ends there, really. Um, I, I wanted him to be um interesting, heartfelt character, not a kind of Jack Reacher type, um, someone who was kind of genuinely always trying to to push for the best outcome and failing um, not through uh, lack of attention or anything, but just through circumstances. I have to admit that he kind of like evolved over drafts as I was writing him. Um, and also I took, there was a little bit of inspiration. I come from the film world, so most of my, or not most of, but some of my references are films. And I've always loved the Jean-Luc Godard film, Breathless. And obviously in Breathless, the Jean-Paul Belmondo character is a real um, streetwise Parisian. And Gene Seberg plays the American ingenue who is new to Paris. And I kind of flipped those two types, two roles. And so I wanted Alex to be the kind of slightly ingenue uh, guy who's come to Tokyo. And he meets this fantastic woman called Naoko, who's the streetwise Japanese kind of tough woman um and it seems kind of an interesting thing to to take something like breathless and switch the two gender roles i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We will get one writing tip that may change the way you work forever from a mystery author in just a sec. That's an author who writes whodunits and mysteries, by the way, not 
someone unknown like it's not we're not getting a writing tip from Robert Galbraith just for uh, I'd make that clear right now but the tip may though just make you think a little bit differently about how you spend your days while you're at home and writing first I just want to remind you there are so many ways that you can keep across what we're doing here on the show you can follow us on Twitter uh, if you want a quick reply or, or a retweet for praise. Yeah, probably the best way to do it. Uh, it's at Writer's Pod on there. Also, we're on Instagram where you can get speedy, glossy, motivational quotes from the best authors we've had on the show every single day to keep you going. Uh, it is Writer's Routine on there. And there is always the website where you can hear all of our episodes. You can find every single way to listen to us and you can get in touch with the show there too. That is writersroutine.com. It's time for this week's writing tip that may change the way you work forever then. What happens is after we've done the, the main bulky chat with our authors, I steal just a couple more minutes from them uh, and, and try and ignore the publisher, who by now is probably outside the room banging on the door frantically pointing at her watch to remind me of the time I've got left. And I ask them for just one tip. A little kernel of advice that has helped them get to work. A little idiosyncrasy, really, from their own day that helps them get their story down on the page. And we've had all sorts so far on the show, from simple tips like reading more books to more imaginative ones like looking at gravestones to get creative names to very specific ones like precise youtube urls that will really help you move your plot along today it's all about your actual working day hi i'm barbara nadal uh, i'm the author of the chetinik men crime series set in turkey plus some other things that will be coming out soon uh, now, my one big writing tip that's really helped me in my career is I treat writing as a job, as a real going to work job. So I get up in the morning, I get washed and dressed, I put on my makeup. It's just like you're going to the office, but there's that demarcation. You're ready for work. Thank you so much to Barbara. Now, if you enjoyed that, please do have a listen to the last episode of our show, Writer's Routine number 29, with the hugely fantastic and amazingly prolific Barbara Nadell. She is publishing her 30th novel this year, uh, and she's only been at it for around 20 years. And you can find links to all of her work and loads more details about Barbara online on our website, which is writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to part two of our chat with debut thriller writer James Buckler. Uh, it's all about his novel, Last Stop Tokyo, which you can pick up right now. It follows the story of Alex and Naoko running away from their past. Now, you can hear more about his characters and what he originally wanted them to be in just a sec. Also, we'll talk about what he's learned from finally writing his debut novel and getting it out there uh, and what he wants to change while he works on on his second. We pick things up though with plotting and what he needed to know before he sat down writing. I've heard of some writers whose notes for a novel are actually thicker than the book itself. And mine really wasn't like that. I, And again, this is my first novel. Um, so by the time I get to novel 10, I might be doing it completely differently. But with the first one, I had to, st I started with the material that I had. I, had a, I knew I had a good beginning, an interesting premise, and two really solid characters. And I knew that I kind of, I'd set myself the task 
that there could be no car chases, no guns, there were no secret agents in the story, but I still wanted to write a page turner. So all of the plot points, all of the jeopardy and the tension had to come from events that could happen to you or I. There had to be real things. And it seemed that it was the tension in the relationship between Alex and Naoko that was going to generate that jeopardy. And I just kind of went with that, really. And it was a really great experience it was to be that. I had days and days of feeling very creative where I was letting those two characters and their nature tell me what what would happen. And, you know, obviously not wanting to give away too much of the story, but they're they really do get themselves into a lot of trouble. It was a great sort of journey to go on with them to find out, um, you know, how they would be try to be good for each other and almost exclusively end up being bad for each other. You say you're going on this journey with them. If we describe your plot as, as a car journey, for instance, yep. how much of the routes do you know that you're taking? And and when are you finding out future points of interest? So I would say that I knew where the beginning was. I knew where the middle point, and I had a vague idea of where the end of that journey would be. But how to get from the beginning to the middle, I really just made it up. I had no idea when I was sitting down writing. So I had the first chapter... And then I had the, actually had the second chapter because that just kind of establishes the character in place. I don't want to sound so kind of highfalutin, but I let them tell me what they wanted to do and I I let them kind of speak to me, really. And if the, the book in its present form is about 85,000 words, I'd say that I wrote about 485,000 <laughs> words to get there, to be honest with you. It... I took a lot of wrong turns and I kissed a lot of frogs to, in the process of writing this book. Um, and also I I wasn't afraid to red pen things in the final stages. I edited it down ruthlessly to make it a really, really, really solid page turner. It's as, as pacey and as quick as I could possibly make it. And my background is editing for film and TV. And so... You know, I kind of know how to cut, how to make something, how to draw the reader in or the viewer in. And in, you don't have enough time to be bored with this. I mean, I've had people who've told me they've managed to read the entire book in about three and a half hours. <laughs> Considering it took me three years to write it, it's actually, on one hand, I can understand someone being slightly disappointed by that. But I'm really, really pleased. I take that as a massive compliment that people can't put it down. Well, let's talk about why they can't put it down then there are many books of this mold yeah before we switch the microphones on you were telling me how you know that this is an airport thriller and you're fine to to take that moniker yeah oh no i'm yeah take that as a huge compliment i don't think there's anything higher than an airport novel and you 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 say that you work as as an editor so you know how to keep a list uh a watcher or a reader's interest yeah how are you doing it what would you say are your golden rules for making sure this thriller is going to keep people reading it right to the end i always tell myself at the you know very early on in every writing day that it's it's not about me it's about whoever's going to read it so i try to put myself in the mind of the reader what is it that they want 
Um, you know, obviously, if someone wants a book about horses, then I can't please them. It's not, that's not what I do. But if someone's picked up my book, they've re- read the first page, first couple of pages. I want really, you know, as a reader, you're you're asking questions. You normally ask what is happening, who is it happening to, where is it happening, and why, and you your job as the writer is to answer those questions as quickly and as clearly as possible in in a way that's interesting and hopefully exciting. I don't really write flowery prose that would make me look clever as a writer. I just like to write very clearly and succinctly for the reader to give them a really clear, crisp picture of what's happening and who it's happening to and why it's interesting. Before I started writing, I think I had a fairly good um, idea of her biography. I didn't know everything because otherwise it kind of, I imagine it would make it quite dry as, you, as you're as you writing. The one thing I'd say with them, um, so obviously I'm an English guy writing a Japanese female character. So I'm very aware of making sure I'm not interested in orientalism at all I'm not interested in writing a kind of um, a cartoon Japanese femme fatale character absolutely not she uh, she probably took much more care and attention to be able to create and build on the page than the male characters um, and I, I have to say I personally think I'm quite proud of the way I've managed to depict her she isn't a femme fatale. She isn't a kind of a, just a love interest. I'm quite convinced that she's the most important character in the story. In a way, it should be, it should be um, her as the lead of the novel. I tried to. Obviously, there were um, people that I met in Japan who I kind of took little elements of their characters, little interesting idiosyncrasies and things, and think little bits of dialogue, things that people had said to me. And I lifted them and I used those little elements and details in order to try to build up a convincing three-dimensional character. Um, yeah, and no, I obviously, I've, to, even now when I go back and read some of the pages, I mean, it's a couple of years since I finished writing it, but I go back and read a few pages and she still jumps out at me as someone who's really interesting and and exciting to spend time with. Do you know her to the extent that you could place her, just her, and put her in any other situation and figure out what she would do. I, I definitely am confident that I could... I wouldn't immediately be able to describe what she would do in any situation. And in a way, she'd have to, if she, that would make her two-dimensional. I'd need to take a bit of time to, to savour it, digest it, think about it a little bit. But I'm confident that I could definitely come up with the answer after being able to give it some thought I've got an idea for a sequel to Last Top Tokyo which would definitely be Naoko's story you know it would move it would take on from where this book finishes and then be really her as the kind of centrepiece of that story you've said you've got an idea for a sequel I know you've been working on other books after the publication of this one what have you learned from writing a debut novel how possibly has your routine changed now to what it was then oh well, I, I, as i said i mean I, I wrote something like 400 and something thousand words to and threw so much of it in the bin um because I've, i was a complete novice i'd never even written a short story 
before I wrote this. I took so many wrong turns. This second book that I'm writing now, I'm writing much, much more efficiently. Still not as efficiently as I'm sure some of your other authors. Um, I've listened to a few of them talk and they seem to be laser-focused. You know, I'm still meandering slightly and having to go write things, throw it away, go back, take it, go in a different direction. I do feel now I've kind of, I've stepped up a level of of professionalism and experience and I find um, I can get much more done in a day. I'm much happier, you know, I I definitely feel I'm much more confident than I was before. And yeah, it's going, you know, it's going well. I'm enjoying it. Huge thank you to James Buckler then. Uh, There are links to buy his book, Last Stop Tokyo, over on our website, which is writersroutine.com. And if you've got a holiday coming up, I am sure he will appreciate being the page turner that you choose to flick through in the sun. Also, uh, remember, if any of the advice that you have heard on this show has inspired you to work on a book that you'd stopped writing years ago, please let me know. It makes everything we do here worthwhile. Honestly, I could not get paid a red cent for this, but just knowing that any tiny crumb and morsel of words that I've recorded has helped you out, it's really all I need. You can let me know the story of your story with a review over on the iTunes podcast store, or uh, even if you're not there yet, as in you've not quite got back to working on a story yet, but you've really enjoyed the show, leave us a review anyway. It's not going to do any harm over on the iTunes podcast store. Also, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Find Writer's Routine on both of those, and you'll get some motivational, inspirational quotes to keep you going, to keep you working all week. And I will see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a bit with another Writer's Routine. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.